in our worship and praise of the Lord. It's a lovely sunny Sunday afternoon and there's no reason why we couldn't enjoy the Lord's presence and we couldn't enjoy one another's company, even if it is at a distance. And so you're very welcome. It's good to have you here. And especially those that are tuning in online, you're also very welcome. It's good to have you as well. And we trust that as we gather together, as we look into God's word, that we will definitely, uh, most definitely hear from the Lord. As again, you're, you're very welcome, and we're looking to him. And it's good to have Adrian Bennington. Adrian's going to be singing in our service here this evening for us. Just a few little announcements. You know, the precautionaries. Uh, don't exit your car during the service, and don't leave the car park unless you attract some of the uh, marshal's uh, attention, and they will direct you on your way out. At the end of the service, Please also wait for a marshal to direct you as you leave the car park and you will be enabled to leave row by row. Uh, where, uh, as I say, and if you do need someone's attention, put, put your hand out and some of the marshals who will be keeping an eye over the whole service will come to your aid and to your help. And before we go any further, we want to give some of the announcements this coming week. Uh, Wednesday afternoon, or sorry, Wednesday evening at 7.30 is our prayer gathering in the main hall of the church. You come through the fire exit door at the very back of the hall, and it'd be lovely to have you. And we definitely need to regroup and to uh, concentrate our efforts in the place of prayer. I really enjoyed the prayer meeting last Wednesday. And if, if there's no reason why you shouldn't be there, then there's no reason why you shouldn't be there. And so we'd love you to be there at the prayer gathering. And if there's too many, we can always form into two groups of equal amounts and we'll go into another hall. So please think about that. And then uh, also uh, this morning, I know that Billy announced that I, I will be preaching at both services. Uh, but uh, because of Andrew's subject matter and because it's still hot on the press, I talked to Andrew before this service and I said, Andrew, it would be really, really good that you would finish that next Sunday morning. And so uh, Andrew is going to take the 10 o'clock and the 11.30 service. I will lead both of those services, but Andrew will uh, bring the second part of the message, which I felt and totally agree with everything that he said, which I felt was very, very necessary for us to understand. It was good, great, uh, good teaching, and I believe it's uh, very necessary we understand uh, what God's Word teaches on a lot of these subjects. So Andrew will be on at 10 o'clock, half past 11. I will be at both of those services to lead them, and then I'll be preaching next Sunday, and I'm going to look at uh, Samson. The Lord impressed that upon my heart there this, this afternoon about Samson, how he lost the fire, how he lost the fire. And uh, there may be those that have lost the fire over this COVID-19, of course. That would, be the, that would be the devil's plan anyway, that you'd lose the fire, that you'd lose the impact, the impulse, the dynamic of your faith. The devil wants to rob you of your testimony. The devil wants to rob you of your belief and your confidence and your assurance. And we're looking a wee bit, I believe the Lord has impressed upon my heart today that we look at uh, the subject of Samson, how he lost the fire. Now that mightn't be the final, uh, the final title, but that is certainly the, the direction that we're going. And I trust that you will make that a matter of prayer next Sunday evening here at five o'clock in the drive-in uh, at the Ulster University car park here. Before we go any further, before we want to worship the Lord, let us bow together in prayer. Let's pray and commit our gathering to the Lord. Our Father, we do know that it is so easy to lose the enthusiasm 
the fire, the dynamic of God in these days. Lord, we have so much to attract our attention, so much to worry us too, so much to uh, create anxiety within our hearts, and we can lose the focus. We can lose the, 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 the desire that we have through that loss of fellowship, that loss of responsibility, that loss of accountability, that, uh, that, that, that effect, Lord, that taking our eye off the ball really has upon us. And so, Father, we pray that we in this gathering today might regather, might regroup, and might refocus our eyes and our attention on the Lord. Grant, O God, that as we minister, as Adrian ministers in song, Lord, as we look into your word, as we look at the prodigal's father this this evening, Lord, as we consider its truth and your truth to our hearts, grant, Lord, that we might be very conscious this afternoon of God's hand upon us. We bless the Lord for the ministry of the Holy Spirit who takes the word of God and illuminates the page and causes us to see the truth. Our Father, we're asking for miracles this afternoon here. We're asking, Lord, for a dynamic that cannot be mustered up by man or man. We're asking, Lord, for the dynamic of the Holy Spirit to visit every car, to come to every individual, Lord, to drop into this car park. And grant, O God, that we might hear from heaven. Father, we pray your blessing upon us. We commit it to you, Lord. This is not our work. This is your work. And Christ is our Savior, and we rejoice and worship at his feet. We thank you for that wonderful message of the gospel. And we pray, O God, that our hearts will rejoice as we unite together here in worship and praise. In Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, we're going to sing our first song. And it's number two in your songbook. I will sing the wondrous story uh, of the Christ who died for me. And I want this song sung about ten times at my funeral. I will sing the wondrous story. Oh, it's a wondrous story. So let's really sing your, your hearts out. And Adrian is going to help me along. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me.
Amen. Another song that I've been singing over and over in my heart for quite some time now is number 26 in your songbook. Dear Saviour, Thou Art Mine, How Sweet the Thought to Me. I didn't neglect to announce that if you are coming to the services next Sunday, 10 o'clock, you have to book through Tommy McLernan, and for 11.30, you book through uh, Andrew and send him a text, and he'll get you included. I have noticed something, and I want to uh, mention it to you. Some people are, are holding back just to give others a little bit of an opportunity. We're not really getting a true picture of those who really want to be at church with that. And so if you want to come next Sunday, not saying and guaranteeing that you'll definitely get in, but if you want to come to church, then you uh, send your name or seek to book in. And if, uh, if there's uh, an overlap, maybe we'll have to send a few texts out to say, can't fit you in. But please don't believe me to every other Sunday, because we'll not get a true picture of, of the, those who want to be in church because we're thinking as we plan our forward uh, plan for the church. So you book for 10 o'clock through Tommy McLernan, and then you book with Andrew at a half pa- for a half eleven service in the church. Dear Saviour, thou art mine. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say he's my Saviour, isn't it? Isn't it wonderful to have that testimony that he's mine, mine, I know thou art mine. It's not, a, it's not a hope so, it's not a guessing game, but he's absolutely sure that he's your saviour. Dear saviour thou art.
The last little song is Come Thou Fount, number 33 in your book, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing to My Heart to Sing Thy Grace. And uh, if you can't sing with assurance, mine, 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 then this is a prayer that you can be praying just now. Lord, come and touch my heart and come and touch me by thy amazing grace. Thanks, Adrian, for helping me out. Appreciate it very much. Well, you can help me out, and you can learn. You can learn on the hoof. All right. Come, thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, calls for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Praise the trust that has put you in the mood for listening to God's word, brought you into an atmosphere of worship. You know, you don't only worship the Lord through singing, but you actually worship the Lord through your attention and your uh, focus on him through every aspect of the service as we heard this morning in church. Now, I know that Adrian is like Lazarus. He's sick and then he's not expected to recover, but he recovers. And uh, I just say we're here as long as the Lord wants us here, Adrian. And he has you here for a reason. And there's a wee man, look at these steps over here. There's a wee man made these steps for us. And I have to say uh, much appreciation to John Ross and also to Robert Blair for this lorry and for Gary and everybody that's doing the sound and for providing the uh, internet and everything. We appreciate everyone. So there's a lot of people who does a lot of work for these open air services. And so I trust that you appreciate that and uh, you show your appreciation as you leave by thanking them and by word of mouth. Now, Adrian, we'll ask you to come and minister your first two songs. Thank you so much.
singing that song it brought me back 37 years to well not exactly 37 years but in or about there to our son's funeral that was one of the songs that was sung at our son's funeral and then I was also thinking of how apt the song is for the message that we're going to bring about the prodigal son I am coming Lord coming now to thee and I was also thinking there I went to the back of the car park to hear And you know, it was just as good as if you were standing in church. The sound is so wonderful. And I was thinking of the sun shining and the stillness of the air. And I was thinking, you know, God has given us this gift this Sunday afternoon where we can meet together around his word in the open air under the canopy of heaven in the cathedral of God to listen to and to join our hearts together in worship and praise. And what a joy it is just to meet together like this because winter's coming, folks, and we'll not be able to meet like this on a Sunday evening. So I want to tell you, for those of you who are here, then thank the Lord for the opportunity. And for those of you who are not here who should be here, then can I say that you need to think again about coming next Sunday if the weather's good. 
Now, I want to turn with me, if you'll turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 15. And I've purposely entitled this message, The Prodigal's Father, because we're going to look more at the father's part in this than the prodigal son's part. And uh, I've called it The Prodigal's Father. If you read through many of the commentaries, there's varying and different uh, titles that the different commentators give to him. But I'm giving him the name The Prodigal's Father. And uh, I originally had told Paul for the, uh, for the website and for the streaming service that we were only going to read from verse 11 to verse 24. But I do want to read verse 1 to verse 24. And I know it'll take a little bit of extra time. But the sun's out. And uh, those of you who have the windows open, you're getting a nice tan where you are. So you'll not worry too much. Luke chapter 15. Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And so because they said that, so he spake this parable to them, saying, What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice for me, with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise I say to you, There is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country And there wasted his possessions with wasteful, extravagant living. But when he had spent all, there was arose a severe famine in that land. And he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one like of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, And when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, 
I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your inspired, infallible word. We thank you, Lord, that everything that was uttered by the mouth of God and inspired by the breath of the Spirit is inspired and is truth. We thank you for the stories that Jesus told. Thank you for the spiritual truths that were contained in these stories. Our Father, we pray that the gracious Holy Spirit will give us the ability to comprehend that truth today, what God the Father would have us understand of his person, of who he really is. And Father, we pray that you'll glorify your son in this car park, defeat every strategy of hell and every demonic power, and grant, O God, that we will truly rejoice, God moving in this car park, to the glory of your son, the Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Now you will have been taught at Sunday school that a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. We do great disservice to the parables to try to uh, build our doctrines from parables. Normally in a parable, Jesus has one main truth, one key truth that he wants us to comprehend from that parable. Why did Jesus tell this parable? Well, way back in verse 1, the Pharisees were questioning the fact that Jesus was reclining and eating with sinners. And so as a consequence, Jesus launches into three very quick parables that were addressing the attitude of those Pharisees. So it's an answer to their questions that they never asked They were merely making a criticism of the Lord Jesus. Now the Pharisees professed to know God, but they didn't really know him. Their religion and their practice was an unforgiving, merciless and hopeless religion. And their view of God was perverted, distorted and twisted. Can I ask you as you listen to my voice here this afternoon... What is your view of God? Do you have a very shallow view of who he is? Do you have a distorted view of who God is? Do you have a full-orbed view of our gracious heavenly father? Well, they had a perverted, distorted view of who God was and his forgiving nature. So Jesus, in response to their perverted thoughts, launches into these three parables. And when he's teaching us, we need to be careful not to read too much into them. It doesn't matter how they got lost. He doesn't address that question. He doesn't matter why. It doesn't address the question why they got lost or how lost they became. What does matter to the Lord Jesus is that they were found. Someone said of this trinity of parables, they teach us just three things. 
We need God. We need God. We need God. Loss, seeking, finding, and celebrating are common threads found in these three parables. They illustrate the part that our God, the Father, plays in their recovery. They illustrate the joy of the Father over one sinner that repents. Man is a lost soul and needs to be found by God before hell finds him. And they teach that God goes to great lengths and great depths and great cost to find these lost articles. These three parables tell us of a questionable desertion, a relentless search, and a painstaking patient wait on a return. Heaven has not ceased to seek for the lost of humanity. There is a relentless and urgent search for lost men and women. We also learn that God views every one of these lost articles as his possession. Everyone is lost, but he regards them as his possession by creation. Made for his glory, but lost to his glory. When Jesus said to Peter, or to the Pharisees, you are of your father the devil, he meant we are displaying characteristics of the one that's influencing us. Remember Jesus said to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Everyone and every man and woman was born into this world for one purpose, and that is to glorify God and to live for him. To live in close relationship and every lost soul is regarded as a lost soul that belongs to the Father. And I want to tell you today, dear men and women, whether it's in the car park, whether it's listening in the grounds around us, or whether it's those that are listening online, you belong to God. You rightfully belong to Him. But all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. These parables also tell us of the value that every soul is to God. Look at the sacrifice. Does it not seem reckless that he would leave the ninety and nine and go and search for the one? And yet God was willing to Lay aside to seek for that one lost soul. There's not one that has any, that is any less value than the other. The value that God places upon fellowship emphasized by the risks and the lengths that God is willing to go to recover us. The answer to the Pharisees, he receives sinners and he welcomes them. The fact that Jesus was eating with them illustrated restored fellowship. You are valuable to God and you're as valuable to God as any other. It doesn't matter if you deliberately strayed away. The reality is you matter and there is no price that God was not willing to pay to see you redeemed and restored into fellowship with him. God doesn't want to hear your excuses You can blame your upbringing, you can blame your circumstances, and you can blame your background all you like. But that is not what God is interested in. God will require of you in the last day why you've deliberately preferred to stay lost to him. 
And look at the scrutiny the lost coin represents. God combs the world seeking those which have gone astray. There's no accusation, no incrimination. There's no pointing the finger. It's not important to God how it happened. It's important to God that you get returned. That brings me then to this third parable in this trilogy. And I want and I hope and pray that you will discover the deep truths that are in this one. Notice very quickly the request that the Father permits. I pointed out in my reading of this parable that prodigal means extravagantly wasteful or recklessly wasteful. Everything about this son's request went against every tradition and every convention in this part of the world. It speaks to me of a desire to be away from the Father's values, to be away from the Father's restraints, to be away from the atmosphere of the Father, to be away from the care of the loving Father. It speaks of rebellion, it speaks of dishonor, it speaks of disregard, and it speaks of selfishness. And yet the Father, listen, the Father permits the request. He allows him to go. What is it that this rebellious son has wastefully disregarded and recklessly taken and totally disregarded and squandered wastefully. And yet the father allows it. Here's the first thing. A relationship with the father. A relationship with the father. His request simply means He wants to be independent from the Father. As far as relationship is is concerned, he was implying, Father, you're dead to me and I'm dead to you. So say the commentators. This parable is a clear representation of what happened in the Garden of Eden at the fall of man. Our God allowed humanity. Listen, and I know that some people will have difficulty with this. It's almost as if the fall in the garden happened accidentally and God was not conscious that was going to take place. But listen, God knew the fall would happen. Our God allowed humanity to walk away, to disown, to disregard, to underrate, to undervalue that which they enjoyed with the Father and break the relationship and fellowship that existed between man and God. Adam and Eve knew fellowship and joy in God's presence before they fell. They enjoyed God. They resided with him. There was a closeness and intimacy between them and God. But soon we see them living a fleeing, fretful, feeble life, hiding away from the very presence of God. Now they're vulnerable, vain, and vaulting around, trying to escape from him. 
What does that tell us about our Heavenly Father? The simple answer is this, dear folks. God has not made you into a robot. God chose not to step in between Adam and Eve when they sinned. And God could have stopped Adam and Eve, but he gave you and I a free will. Oh, some people don't like that. But he gave you and I a free will to choose. And the only ones that can possibly know what was lost in the garden. And I want you now to put on your thinking cap. The only ones that can possibly know what was lost in the garden are those who know what it is to be restored into fellowship with God again. Do you remember when it happened, dear woman, dear man? Do you remember whenever you came in repentance and faith? Do you remember whenever you threw threw down your puny arms of rebellion and you came back to the Father and there was joy and there was fellowship and there was excitement and thrill and there was a, a a, a celebration of spirit that you were back with the Father. It was almost as if you were floating on air. Something new Something different had happened. And the only people that can really know what was lost in the garden are those who know what it is to be restored again. Can I, can I ask you, is your fellowship with God restored? Are you walking in fellowship? Is there a joy and enthusiasm that exists between you and the Father? Does he walk with you? Does he talk with you? And does he tell you that he is your own? Oh, what extravagant waste. Relationship with the Father. Very quickly, not only did he throw away a relationship with the Father, but he also threw away the reflection of the Father. We are created in the image of God. That doesn't mean to say we physically look like him. What it does mean, you and I were created. You listen carefully this afternoon. I believe this is an important message. You and I were created with every feature necessary to have a close relationship with the Father. When we peer into our little child's little cot, ah, he's like his mommy or she's like her daddy. If daddy's bald, dear, help the child. And we say, what image? It resembles her side of the family. No, it resembles his side of the family. I want to tell you, you resemble the Father. God gave you features so that you could have a relationship with him. Love. Reason. Faith. Respect. Creativity. Freedom. Holiness. Immortality, yes, immortality. God gave you a soul that would never die so that you and he could live in fellowship for all eternity. What extravagant waste. What extravagant waste. Wonderful faculties enshrined in our spiritual DNA for the purpose of loving and communicating with our Father. And we're able to sing, as Adrian has often sang, and he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me that I am his own. And the joys we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Where do you think those features came from? They came from a God who wants to have a relationship with you. The Garden of Eden, love was turned into lust. Faith was turned into fear. 
Order was turned into disorder. And so the perversion of man's soul became fully orbed in the likeness of the devil himself. And we know by the actions of Adam and Eve after their rebellion, what really had taken place, pride, shame, deception, lies, arrogance, from which we are now reaping the ugly maturity in our day and in our generation. What an extravagant waste. The third thing that he extravagantly wasted was this. The revering of the Father. I said earlier on in this message that you and I were created for one purpose and that was to have a relationship with God. And man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. But man glorifies self and enjoys sin. God gave us life and He redeemed you, my dear soul so that you could pick up the pieces of that broken life and begin to glorify him again. The reality is we glorify ourselves and our achievements. We parade around so full of pride and self-aggrandizement with the attitude that I'm the most important creature on earth and everything else and everyone else is inferior to me. Remember, sin is not only what you do. Sin is what you don't do. And to give you another little bit of doctrine and theology, there are the sins of commission, the things that you do that are wrong. But there's also the sins of omission, the things that you ought to do that you don't do. That's every bit as wrong. The early apostles' creed went something like this. We have done those things which we shouldn't have done. And we've left undone those things which we ought to have done. Isn't that what the world does today? Isn't that what we see humanity doing today? Isn't that what we see and not how we see them living? Man will do anything to get away from God. They deny his reality. Making up all sorts of philosophy to avoid running. Avoid owning up to his being. Man has sought to argue God out of existence, arguing for the non-existence of God. The truth is that man doesn't want to face a holy God. He's happy to live a lie. It alleviates his conscience. And here's how it goes. No God, no sin. No sin, no accountability. No accountability, no judgment. No judgment, no hell. Now think, when you hear the gospel, you have a choice to make, a decision to make. And God will not make you or force you to make the right choice any more than he denied the prodigal son to make the wrong choice. He will not buttonhole you. 
God will let, listen, listen, listen now. God will let you reject the gospel. As multitudes do today, as Jesus said, few there be that find it. Broad is the gate that leadeth to destruction and many there be which go into that. Could God stop them? Of course he could. God chooses not to because God gave you and I a free will. God will let you drive out of this car park. God will let you turn off the TV screen or your, or, your, or, your, or your mobile phone or your iPad and he'll turn you over to something more ear itching for you to listen to. But God will not override your free will. There'll not be one soul in heaven wishing he wasn't there. God will let you come to a meeting, hear the truth, And require you to choose ye this day whom ye will serve. That's the first thing we learn. There's a request that he permits. And I would love to take more time on that particular one. But time beats us. Notice the return the father awaits. Look at verse 20 of the passage that we read together. Look at verse 20. And he rose and came to his father. There's that wonderful word, but. But when he was still a great way off. There might be a soul here today or listening to the recording or listening online. There might be a soul and there's a little urgency growing in your spirit. And you know you've wasted and squandered extravagantly a life, a life that could have influenced your children, dear father, a life that could have influenced your daughters, dear mother, a life that could have influenced your classmates, dear sir, a life that could have been so much more valuable. But no, you choose to neglect, to reject. Oh, you thought there'd be plenty of time later on. But now... There's a sense of squandering. There's a sense of regret. There's a sense of mourning within your soul. Oh, I wish, I wish I'd given them more. The Father sees you afar off. He sees that change of mind. He sees that return. Oh, very little it might seem, but when he sees, what does he do? Oh, he runs. He runs to the child. I want you to hear this, dear soul. Don't think for one minute that God doesn't care. Don't think for one minute just because he lets you make the wrong choice that he's not interested that you make the right choice. 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11 says, Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. Jeremiah 50 and verse 20 says, In those days and at that time, says the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought, but there shall be none, and the sins of Judah, but they shall not be found, for I will pardon them. The father is not caught out. He's not slumbering at home watching the television. He is eagerly waiting and anticipating and watching for the son's return. Such is his love. Such is his grief. 
such as his deep feelings for this prodigal son who extravagantly wasted all that he could have used for the glory of the father. And I don't know how long the son was away, but the father was watching him when he turned the corner and came over the hill. I put it to you that the son's wasteful extravagance, listen, if you're taking notes and I wish that you would, I want you to notice this, my dear friend. The son's wasteful extravagance did not dilute the father's love. The the son's selfish demands did not dilute the father's love. The son's reckless lifestyle did not dilute the father's love. The son's delay did not dilute the father's son. Still he waits, still he watches, still he longs, still he lingers, till he sees the son coming home again. Matters not how long you've been away. It matters not how how deep you've gone down. It matters not how it happened. It matters not how your strain took place. Still his love is as sensitive and as powerful and as deep as the day whenever man turned his back on the Father. One commentator prefers to call this parable the grieving father because it tells more about the father's heart than the, than the son's. Our heavenly father's heart grieves for every lost soul. He waits and watches for their homecoming. And the simple way of putting it is he waits for our repentance. He waits for the son's change of mind. A change of mind caused by a change of circumstances. Is this, what COVID, is this not what COVID-19 is all about? Is God not waiting us for us to change our mind about our circumstances, about what is important in life? Is God not saying to you and me today, forget about those old baggerly temporal things of time and sense and start to begin to think about eternity? Is he not waiting for the church to repent? Is he not waiting for some dear strange sinner to repent? I believe that he is. I believe that he is. And I wonder, I wonder that in this car park today, if every person, and I'm not thinking about somebody beside you or behind you, I'm thinking of every person that's sitting in this car park will say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry for wasting opportunities. I'm sorry for wasting the gifts that you gave me. I'm sorry for wasting those features that were written into my spiritual DNA that caused me to feel as a father, to feel as a church member, to feel as a soul, a creature that was made for your glory. I believe we'd have a different services in church. We'd have different interest in prayer meetings. And we'd have a different thought about outreach. And we wouldn't be slumbering at home with a cup of coffee watching the drive-in service. You know the message that Jesus intended here? He says, everybody that repents 
as the Pharisees were questioning his integrity, his authority, and his authenticity. He was saying, every soul that changes his mind and has a change of heart is welcomed back into the friendship and the fellowship of the Father. What was Jesus' first message? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the truth is, my dear soul, that the Son came to a place in his heart that he needed to come back to the Father. Review and repent is the message. Mind you, I think when he would have loved to have eaten the husks that were given to the pigs, and maybe he already had tried a few husks of the pigs. And the very fact that Jesus uses pigs and husks means that's what God thinks of our own human attempts to be right with God. Ho, everyone that is thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat ye. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, says Isaiah. Eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let us return to the Lord, for he will abundantly pardon. I wish I could write that message on every heart. He will abundantly pardon, as we'll see in a moment. Take a good hard look at your life from where you are now. And see is that life of yours glorifying the Father. And if it's not, repent. And return. And receive. And rejoice. Here's the third thing. The reception that the Father hosts. This is the only time the father doesn't answer prayer for this boy. Or should I say, this is the only time that the father doesn't grant the son's request. The son's request is this. Make me as one of your hired servants. He didn't even say, make me as one of your slaves. Because in those days, a slave was known as to be an extended member of the family. But a slave, but a a hired servant could be dismissed at any time. That's why John Newton called it amazing grace. Notice the run. You've got a number of hours now coming to you. Listen to them quickly. Notice the run. The father runs to him. What does that tell us? The eagerness to restore, to forgive, to receive, and to reunite. Notice the reconciliation. A kiss. And when the son comes to the father expecting a clout in the ear and expecting to be a third-rate citizen in the kingdom, what does he give him? He gives him a kiss. And it's because the father received him compassionately that he enters into his confession. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. And I'm not worthy. Oh, the kiss... 
What about the robe he receives? He receives that which fits him to live in the Father's house. When you come to Christ, you get the robes of righteousness and you have no business running around lacking assurance because it's not of our good worth and it's not our value. But he clothes us in the robe of righteousness, not performance, but relationship. Clothes, we are accepted, says Paul, in the beloved. The robe of honor. The ring of relationship. The ring signifies sonship. As I said, he's not a slave and he's not a hired servant. He becomes a son. As many as received him to them, give he right to become the sons of God. What about the royal shoes? That's how one commentator says. The royal shoes speak of freedom. Freedom within the father's house. To possess and own again that which he had lost. To take his rightful place to be part of the family. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And hath committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. The reception that the Father hosts. Dear soul, this is how the Father will treat you. And will treat everyone that comes by way of the cross. You can come in repentance and confession of your need. You are freely and fully forgiven and brought into the family. And the father's watching. And maybe he's already running towards you now. And he's going to greet you with a kiss of reconciliation. He'll clothe you with a robe of righteousness. The ring of betrothal. The ring of relationship. And the royal shoes. Ah, and somebody says, oh, you forgot about the fatted calf. No, I didn't. We're waiting for that glorious celebration when the bride will be meeting with the bridegroom. We'll celebrate. Oh, some people say, oh, it's about sacrifice. No, it's about rejoicing. The sacrifice has been made on the cross. Christ already has done the work. We're waiting for the celebration of the marriage feast of the Lamb. When all those prodigal sons and daughters will have returned and received the ring of relationship, the royal shoes of freedom, the kiss of reconciliation, the robe of righteousness, and the father longing with outstretched arms. Is there someone that needs to come to him this evening? Maybe you need to come to him again afresh. Lord, I've been extravagantly wasteful. I'm sorry. Give me that ring. Give me that robe. Give me that kiss of reconciliation. Oh, Father, give me those royal shoes. And I want to tell you, you'll never regret a moment. But you know what the amazing thing is? He's not going to force you to do it. The choice is yours. We're going to pray together and then Adrian is going to come and sing his final song. 
Father, we thank you for your presence in this car park. Lord, we've preached our heart out here this evening. We've preached, Lord, as a dying man to dying men and women. We've sought, Lord, to unburden our hearts. And we pray, dear God, that those who have heard will hear with the hearing of faith, with the feet of repentance, a heart of faith, and, Lord, a soul of determination from this moment on is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Bless your word, we pray, and your people. Bless Adrian as he brings this final song. We pray that you'll bless him and bless us through him. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Adrian. I will be at the gate. Please wait till I get there. Don't drive over me. And if I can help you at all, I would gladly do so. And I trust that we will be able to help some soul this evening. Thank you very much. That's a bit of refreshment for us all, eh? Refreshed in the Holy Spirit.
future sure The price it has been paid For Jesus bled And suffered for my pardon And he was raised To overthrow the grave To this I hold My sin has been defeated Jesus now And ever is my plea Oh the chains are released I can sing I am free Yet not I But through Christ in me With every breath I long to follow Jesus For he has said That he will bring me home And day by day, I know He will renew me Until I stand with joy before the throne Through this I hold, my hope is only Jesus All the glory evermore to Him us. Yes. 